So how many of you were taken back and how many have been taken forward? Jesus loves me. It's a, it's, it's a remarkable hymn and it's beautiful in simplicity because it's true. But let us pray, shall we? Our Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day, for this, for this passage of revelation, for its unfolding of describing who you are. So, Father, we pray that uh, you will be with this preacher, that he preaches your word faithfully and true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what were you doing on the 26th of September, 1983? Some of you won't even hear then. 26th of September, 1983. Anyone remember what day that might have been? I was an sorry. I was an apprentice, a fitter and turner down at the dockyard, and of course, you know, Labour heartland. And a Labour prime minister on that day said, "Any boss who gives a person a sack should be." <laughs> Remember what that day might have been? <laughs> the challenger to the New York uh, York Club's defence of the America's Cup was the Ben Lexan-designed Australia 2 12-metre yacht. Over a series of seven races, Australia 2 prevailed. At the end of each race, Australia 2 was lifted out of the water and it was cleaned to take off all of the, all of the growth and bits and pieces that would have been on the hull of the yacht. And every time it was lifted up, there was always a shroud. And people were trying to get photos of what was underneath the boat. Secrecy was required. And it was incredible the way that people went. Alan Bond, on winning the final race and the America's Cup, ordered that the shroud should be lifted so that the world could see what was under the yacht. It was then that the world saw for the first time what a winged keel looked like and had been the success of Australia's campaign. It was a proud day. The last book of the Bible begins in a very similar fashion. The, world, the, the, the word revelation, which is the first word of this book, means the unveiling of God, of the things he wants the church to know in a language and forms that quite simply dazzle and shock. Uh, Derek Thomas. Revelation is written with word pictures. For the visual mind, it is breathtaking. As such, it is very different to any other book in the New Testament. It is prophetic. It is it is apocalyptic. It's speaking of in terms of things to come. But the emphasis on urgency that it is almost here. There's a, there's, there was an urgency in it that it's, it's, it's almost upon us. It was written for the church down through the centuries. It was written to the church in persecution until the number of souls slain for the word of God and for the witness that they bore is complete. 
chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. It was written by John the Apostle, a brother and fellow partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. While he was on the island of Patmos. And this is the same John who rested his head on Jesus' chest in the upper room. It's the same John who wrote the fourth gospel. The same John who wrote the three letters. His role had become as, as, as elder at Ephesus. And because of his preaching and his teaching, he was banished from his home. No different to what's happening in northern Iraq today. He was banished from his home to the island of Patmos. John knew about persecution, about being told what he could and could not say. Yet he was faithful to his calling. He was faithful to the cause of Christ. He was faithful that he was persecuted because he preached the truth about Christ. He could then say that he is a fellow partner in the tribulation. He was experiencing it. He could say that he was part of the kingdom. He was living in it. He could say that Jesus gave him the strength to fight the good fight of faith and to persevere through great times of suffering and persecution, the patient endurance that are in Jesus. It was authored by God. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We see this unveiled in in, in the first two verses. The Father gave the Son the testimony. And in his prophetic role, Jesus accurately showed his servants, that's us, what must soon take place. And Christ made it known by sending an angel to tell John what to write. And John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, wrote down what he saw. So today we have, today we read the testimony of Christ, which is a blessing to all, to all who read, hear, and keep what is what is uh, written down for us. For the time is near. This letter was written for the church. It was written for the church then. And it's written for the church today. In fact, the church in every age. The reason for this is the structure of, of the letter. It comes in groups of seven. And seven in God's economy is a, is a complete number. We have seven days in a week. It is a complete number. There are seven visions which are bookended with the introduction and a conclusion which are all about God. So just as scripture begins and scripture ends with God, so does this last book of the Bible. 
The first vision is about the seven churches. Seven being complete. And meant to be taken, I would understand, as typical of all churches through, throughout all of time. Then the second vision is, is about seven seals, chapters four to seven. Begins with the throne of God, and each seal grows in, in its intensity. And at, in fact, at the end of the seventh seal, we're actually at the judgment day itself. In vision three, there's, there, 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 was seven, there were seven trumpets. As with the seven seals, there is an interlude between the sixth and the seventh where other visions are given. Chapters 8 to 11. In vision four, there is the battle against Satan. A further pattern of seven unfolds. And this is perhaps the key to the whole book of Revelation. It describes the real battle between God and Satan, chapters 12 to 14. Vision 5 is seven bowls. It grows in more intensity in its description. The vision describes bowls of wrath poured out upon the earth, chapters 15 and 16. Vision 6 is the downfall of Babylon, a section in which Christ systematically gains victory over every foe, chapters 17 and 19. And vision 7, the new heaven and new earth, Chapters 20 to 22. And the main message of this book, of the whole book, is, is something to hold on to. That it's about a great throne. It's about a lamb who is actually a lion. And a fearsome foe who always threatens more than he can deliver. And whose doom is certain. But in this first chapter... It's about an unveiling of Christ. It's about lifting up that shroud. And the opening words of this book are about the unveiling of the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is to reveal Christ in all of his glory. Last week we finished the Lord's Prayer, where kingdom, power and glory all belong to Christ. In Revelation we see this being revealed before our eyes. We have victory in Christ because of who he is. Just as Peter, James and John witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus and were left speechless, apart from Peter who couldn't help himself to say something, so we are also left speechless as we contemplate the revealed Christ. Remember, it is his testimony to us. We are greeted with grace and peace from the triune God. The God of the Bible is one who was and who is and who is to come. This reminds us of what the name of name Moses asked God in Exodus 3, of the name that he could say, of who, of who sent him. And God said, I am. Or can be also understood, understood as, uh, I will be. So here in Revelation, God unveils his name in full. That God is the time Lord of all of history. There has never been a, there's never been a time when God has never been, uh, there's never been a time when, when God, has, God has not been. 
And there'll never be a time when that will never be either. God is the Lord of time. Apologies to the, the fictitious Doctor Who. The seven spirits who are before the throne are not angels, but it's the Holy Spirit. Perfect, complete. Jesus Christ is unveiled as the faithful witness in the sense that he is the prophet who accurately relates God's character and plan. Jesus is kingly as the firstborn of the, door, of, of, of the dead. That means he is Lord over all who have died. He was not the first to die and to be raised to life, but he is the status of being Lord over all that have died. And similarly, he is Lord and sovereign over all that reign today or will ever will reign today. Psalm 89, verses 27, uh, the highest of kings of the earth. That is who Jesus is king and Lord over. So Jesus is Lord over all, that have, all, all those who have died and he is Lord over all that have ever lived or are living today and have still yet to be born. This is who King Jesus is. One commentator says to Christians facing tyrannical emperor, uh, Roman emperors, some of whom bordered on the irrational and megalomaniac, this was comforting news. This was comforting news to know that the God whom they worshipped was Lord over the dead and Lord over the living and the living to come. And that's a whole understanding of, of, of revelation. Jesus is then unveiled further in the relationship that believers have with him. We are loved by Christ and we've been set free from our sins. Every Christian is loved by Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Every time we come to Jesus, we must always have in view the cross. And that's always imperative. It is at the cross that we find our liberation from our sin. We come as sinners and are set free from our sin by Christ's sacrificial uh, bloodshedding. And he has made us possible to be, into, to, to be in a kingdom of his own. And each one of us are priests to God the Father. We are called Christians because we are follow Christ, the firstborn over all creation. In Exodus, Moses told Pharaoh that Israel as a nation is the Lord's firstborn. In Exodus 4.22. So today... Christians, people redeemed by Christ's death and resurrection, are the Lord's firstborn, the true Israel under God. In Christ, we become kingdom of priests to God. Each of you is a priest. Did you know that? The priesthood of all believers... 
So in Christ we become kingdom, a kingdom of priests to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. It is Christ whom we worship, and the doxology to, to him be all glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen highlights this. But Revelation doesn't leave us there. It moves us toward revealing the second coming of Christ. We see that John knows his Bible. He's been teaching and preaching at Ephesus. And here he previews what is to come in his testimony. The books of Daniel and Zechariah are foremost in his mind. One with the clouds is reminiscent of what we read today, of, of Daniel 7. And Jesus' own words in the Olivet, uh, Olivet Discourse. The other is from Zechariah where the prophet depicts Jerusalem looking on him whom they have pierced and who mourn for him. In Zechariah 12, verse 10. But the mourning in Revelation is not that of repentance. The mourning in Revelation is that of remorse. When Jesus comes, it will not be possible to repent. At the moment, we are in an age of grace between the first and second coming of Jesus. And when he comes again, he's going to wind up this age and there will be no time for repent. All that is left now is when Jesus comes, it will not be possible to repent. For the time for turning will be past. All that is left now is the grief of rejection. What is sad is those who've rejected Christ in this life will themselves be rejected. We live in an age of grace. And the time is near. That's what the, that's what the book is telling us. The, the unveiling of Christ is further developed in that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and Omega, the last. There is nothing outside of Christ. He is sovereign over all that has between the first and the last. In his sovereignty, there is strength and there is power. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who, who has no might, he increases strength. Finally, Christ is revealed as the one who walks amongst the churches. And when I, uh, verses 12 to 15, and when I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and his hair were like white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Christ is revealed as prophet, priest, and king. Prophet is the word of God comes out of his mouth. Priest is the one who holds the messengers of the churches. And king is the one who has the golden sash. 
At the sight and the sound of Christ, John fell at his feet. Then God raised him, then Christ raised him up and reassured him that it was his task to write what he had seen and heard. In one of John's other letters, in his gospel, Jesus, in chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus told the disciples that they may have peace. In this world they will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Revelation is assuring believers then and today that tribulation is real in every age. We're seeing ISIS being played out before our eyes right now. Tribulation is real. But peace is only found in Christ. And more importantly, Christ has overcome this world. This is revelation. Christ overcoming all the foes and and returning to bring this age to an end. May we say with the end of revelation, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Let's pray.